Welcome to Infoblox Threat Talk, where you'll find the latest thinking on how to tap the full potential of the cloud while making your network more reliable, secure, and automated. Welcome to Threat Talk, a podcast series from Infoblox. My name is Peter Schoff, and I've been covering IT security for going on 15 years. Today, I'm excited to be joined again by Michael Zuckerman, a consulting senior product manager for Infoblox. Mike is a seasoned B2B product marketing and marketing strategy consultant with experience in cybersecurity and enterprise SaaS software markets. Michael has extensive domain experience in all facets of cybersecurity. In this podcast, we're going to drill down on the Center for Internet Security Controls Framework, or the CIS Controls Framework. We're going to cover what it is and why it is absolutely essential for achieving a world-class solution that meets today's cybersecurity threats. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining me once again on another podcast. Thank you, Peter. So let's focus in on the the chief information security officer. What are their biggest challenges today? Well, it's a thousand foot view. You've got many trends that are impacting them. The first is the incredible escalation in cyber activity. For example, just in the healthcare industry from 2018 to 2019, if you check the government databases on major attacks that impact the patient data of 500 patients or more, there's been an over 90% growth in these attacks in 2019, and that's accelerating into 2020, right? The other thing is that attackers are leveraging the vulnerabilities brought by the rapid digital transformation. So they're seeing cloud applications with lots of administrative holes. They're watching the move to SD-WAN and branches. IoT has been an opportunity for attackers forever because once they get in there, it's most of our security software doesn't easily detect things lurking beneath. And of course, the teleworking trend now. Everybody's working from home. And unless you've got some special tools, your security stack didn't necessarily go with you, right? So IT organizations, and certainly the CISO, just cannot secure these devices with their existing architectures. And they're juggling and trying to manage a disconnected set of stacks, tools, and policies. And this will get a little bit worse before it gets better for sure. So those are the things that are pushing CISOs hard today. Yeah. Now, in preparation for this podcast, I read your excellent white paper, and you referenced defense in depth. What do you mean by defense in depth? Defense in depth is a classic strategy for cyber defense where you you layer mechanisms and tools in place to protect your infrastructure and your data. So in theory, if one tool or mechanism fails, the other one steps up to perhaps stop or thwart the attack, right? And there's not complete overlap, but you've got a bunch of these things there that at some point an attacker will stumble into. And this multi-layered approach provided some redundancy and addressed many different types of attacker TTPs, tactics, techniques, and procedures. But defense in depth has been getting pounded recently too. It's the classic castle approach, right? That's where it came from. So you think of a medieval castle, right? And before you can get in the castle, you've got to get across the moat. You've got to storm the ramparts. Maybe you've got to get the drawbridge down. You've got to somehow get into the towers and the embattlements. So it's kind of that analogy. And it worked great when you were all on premise. But now with the digital transformation, it's a much, much tougher strategy to rely on 100%. Definitely. I mean, this castle essentially has to encompass everybody working from home now. So that's a lot of work. So with the CIS controls framework, how exactly does it help secure an organization? Okay. 
So the CIS controls framework is a set of best practice adapted to defense in depth experiences that have been used to defend against a wide variety of cyber attacks and, and malicious parties. So this these multiple layers have been defined and you know wrapped in the visibility and alerts that everybody needs to respond. So the CIS controls framework helps organizations, you know, better assess the threats and, and adapt to new ones. It gives your security team the ability to better share information about attacks and attackers, determine the root cause, like what happened, and select and apply the right defense or mitigation. And it helps defenders share tools so they can better understand where these threats came from, what capabilities these adversaries have, what attack vectors they use, you know, the attack vectors of choice. And finally, they can identify common problems of interest, you know, work together to solve it. Like, hey, APT29 just came out. What are we going to do about that? Right. There's a lot of caucus and a lot of activity. Definitely. Now, the fact of the matter is companies have a number of security frameworks. So the question following would be, so how does the CIS controls framework work with the other frameworks already in place in a company? Well, that's an important question. Typically, organizations choose one or more frameworks to help organize their cyber defense and build out their playbooks and, you know, run their operations. Right. So, for example, CIS might also be adopted with something like MITRE ATT&CK. MITRE ATT&CK focuses on the TTPs of the attacker and really organizes that data structure. CIS focuses on the setup and management of your defenses to meet a level of expected threat. So all this can work together to benefit you. The CIS controls framework is one of the top three or so important standards that you can use. Just so you know, the first version of the framework was developed initially by the SANS Institute before 2010. We've all heard of SANS, right? And this was in response to cyber attacks that were hitting the U.S. military and defense contractors. So SANS then transferred the framework to an organization called the Council on Cybersecurity in 2013, and then transferred it to the Center for Internet Security in 2015, as I recall. And it goes under many names, right? You'll hear CISCSC, you'll hear CIS20, you'll hear SANS Top 20, I've heard CAG20, and it's just because it spun out of the government world and then, you know, moved into far broader use. Fantastic. First of all, let's give an overview of the three categories of the CIS controls. And why don't you cover the first set, the CIS basic security controls? Okay. So here's where we, we may drill into minutia, but rise up at the end to save ourselves here, right? So CIS controls are contained in one of three categories that include basic. It's about half a dozen controls there. Foundational, a little more than half a dozen there. And organizational, three controls. Basic controls should be implemented in every organization for really baseline and essential, absolutely essential cyber defense readiness. So without going into them, I'll just sort of highlight them. So control one is about inventory and control of hardware assets. Control two is about inventory and control of software assets, right? The next one focuses on vulnerability management. Control four is interesting. It focuses on controlled use of administrative privileges. That's what attackers always seem to find, right? So you really got to bolt it down. Control five is secure configurations for mobile devices, laptops, workstations, and servers. This is very much day-to-day -day blocking and tackling for your IT and security teams. And then control six is 
audit logs, how you maintain them, how you monitor them, how you analyze them. Those logs are essential to figuring out the potential fingerprint and footprint of a crime that's either ongoing or might be detected early. Great. Now, next up is foundational security controls. Let's cover what are the CIS foundational security controls. Okay. So now we've got past the basics, right? So foundational controls provide the technical best practices, right? They provide clear security benefits and are a highly recommended move for any organization to implement. So if you're a mid-sized or large organization, you would definitely implement these. Control 7 in the series, which is the first inside foundational, is about email and web browser protection. Control 8 is, you know, what do you do to defend against malware? Control 9 is uh, one of my more favorite controls is limitation control of network ports, protocols, and services. These get very confusing to people, especially in small to medium-sized shops. It's like, you know, I have an RDP server open on the port. Well, you better know about that, and you probably better shut it down because it's a major attack vector, right? Control 10 is about data recovery. I can tell you, no matter what you think you can do with recovery, when you have 400 workstations hit by ransomware and you want to execute that recovery, my experience has been that those things don't work the way we plan. Recovery is painful and difficult. So control 10 is really important. Control 11 is you know, securely configuring network devices. Half of the breaches out there seem to happen because of misconfiguration, right? Uh, control 12 is boundary defense. 13 is data protection, right? Are you using DLP? How do you know that your data is protected? Are you using tools like encryption? And this goes beyond this control, but data protection is the core. And if you move to a strategy like zero trust, data protection will be the core, right? Uh, control 14 is about controlled access based on the need to know. This feels a little bit like zero trust again, right? We're used to giving everybody inside the castle. You get through the moat, the guard looks at you, they pat you on the back and you wheel your card in, and then you run through the castle most of the time. There's a few guards here and there, but you know the zero trust philosophy, you know, control 14 is about what do you need to have access to? What's the minimum? And how do we structure you know, ourselves with this control to implement that? A control 15 is wireless access, which I know most of you spend a lot of time with juggling. And control 16, the last one under foundational is about account monitoring and control. It's the life cycle of a system and application accounts, creation, use, disuse, deletion, right? And I can't tell you how many organizations don't expire passwords. You know, a consultant left and four months later, the consultant can still log in. You know, that's a serious issue. So that's another important control. They all sound pretty serious. Now let's cap it off with organizational security controls. What are the CIS organizational security controls, Mike? So organizational controls have always felt to me like they're focused on people and processes and maybe a little compliance and governance related stuff. Control 17 is, you know, you got to have a security training program, right? Well, you'd say, well, why do you stipulate that? Because right now, the overwhelming number of breaches use the attack vector through email. And if you gave people basic training, you could stop a significant percentage of these and that one time it gets through could destroy your organization. So training and awareness for security are important. Control 18 
application security software. It's it's the same deal, but focused on you know what you need to do to preserve the integrity of those applications. Nineteen second to last is incident response and management. You know what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? When are you going to call up your MSSP? When are you going to tell your board of directors? You know, do you have playbooks? Who's going to do what? Because you're at war and you're under attack, right? And you got to know what you're going to do. And then the last control in the whole CIS framework is my favorite. It's penetration testing and red team exercise. It's really war games by any other name. You have to test your defenses, right? You know, the tech you have, how is it configured? Is it working? And do the people and processes support it correctly? Like, did you update that software this Friday like you were supposed to? No. Well, the attackers know that because you didn't. That firewall's got a hole they can march through, right? And that happens all the time. I like that idea of war games, you know, keeping everybody on the up and up. So I think the next question is quite important about how the CIS framework improves information sharing about attacks, because certainly the cyber attackers are sharing information. So how does the framework help information sharing? Well, the framework, you know, provides guidance by using information about actual attacks that have compromised systems to build out the knowledge base, you know, to make this all work. So the CIS controls framework brings together, you know, several critical components for cyber defense system. One of the key constructs is Metrics, you know, how effective are my security measures? Another construct is continuously measuring and mitigating activity and keeping track of how your security controls are performing. Another key construct is automation. And so as these things are brought together, it's based upon common knowledge about the attacks and other shared knowledge that may flow into the CIS knowledge base. Fantastic. Now, how does InfoBlocks help companies exactly achieve this robust CIS framework? Well, foundational security is critically important today, especially with the move to teleworking and other changes. The CIS controls framework requires a ton of visibility and logging across your infrastructure, right? You've got to have a lot of logging and visibility. So InfoBlocks threat defense brings integrated and very deep visibility and control to your foundational security level with your DNS, your DHCP, and your IPAM, and supports it on-premise, in your clouds, and for your teleworkers, you know, on Macs and PCs and so forth. And that's a fairly unique and powerful capability to build out CIS. If you think about all the different stacks you have today, the complexity is you don't have one security strategy. You've probably got three or four and they're disparate, right? You've got this thing over here for your important Amazon cloud. You've got this thing over here for another cloud. You've got your on-premise. You've got three branch offices that may have a slight difference. And I think at, at the foundational security level, you have one, I say this respectfully, throat you can grab, right, to maintain control over your business and those who would seek to hurt you, right? So you have one place, one standard set of administration and execution to protect your DNS infrastructure and know what's going on. And it works for all of those things at the same time. So that's important. And, you know, if you look at most security controls, that's remarkable because most of them are disconnected and disparate, as I said before. So really, it's about strengthening the castle walls, which seems absolutely essential in this day and age. Now, we've covered a lot of ground here, Mike. And as you know, I like to finish. What would you say is the key takeaway you want listeners to come away with from this podcast? 
Well, you know, the yellow sticky I'm looking at on my monitor, I see when it says you are at war, right? You are. Attackers, tactics, techniques, and procedures are evolving all the time. The digital transformation has brought benefits, but it's made it worse for the security ops people. You know, so robust security frameworks like CIS, CSC can help you find and stop those, you know, who want to steal your data, make it more likely to detect them. And then you can take steps to shut them down. Foundational security leverages that single throat, right, around your DNS data and traffic and leverages visibility and protection that you can't get any other way. And this is a critical support piece for, for implementing CISCSE. You know, foundational security gives you the ability to reduce, hopefully, cyber incidents, take your risks down, and depending on who you are, maybe strengthen your compliance and governance initiatives. You know, I love the war analogy because if you work in the SOC you know, you're on the edge of compliance, you're in IT or networks, you know, you know, we are under attack, whether we're small, medium or large business, government, it doesn't matter. You know, those of us in this business are on a war footing every day of every week. I don't know about you, but if you've ever spoken with someone in a mid-sized company that got hit with 700 unbacked up endpoints worth of ransomware, you will feel their trauma. The phone is ringing 24 by 7. The CEO and board of directors is now calling you. You know, so that's what the implementation of a robust security framework like CIS can give you. You know, it'll give you this best practice framework so you can I use the term, take the initiative back from the attackers and tilt the battlefield, just lift it up and tilt it back to you so that you're not on the run, right? You're not on constant defense. Really, these sorts of processes give you a subtle offense, which is where you need to be. It makes it much more difficult for these guys and gals to penetrate and move within your networks and do the evil that they do. So that's why you should consider the move to a cybersecurity framework, especially one like CISCSC. And I think, you know, a decisive move to foundational security, you know, is what you need to start your implementation at the best practice level for DNS. Anytime we send a Marine into battle, we give them weaponry, we give them intelligence, right? And so CIS, CSC, and foundational security are two critical tools, weapons you need to engage in the battle that has been brought to your doorstep. As I said before, we didn't go start this, but we need to survive, we need to win, and we need to protect our organizations. So, Peter, that's why I think CIS, CSC is highly compelling and critically important. I agree completely. We are definitely at war. And without these frameworks, the battlefield would seem limitless to me. This is Peter Schof of Threat Talk speaking with Michael Zuckerman of Infoblox. For listeners who want more information on this and many other topics, including Mike's white paper, I recommend going to the Infoblox website and go to the tab resources and you'll find numerous white papers and podcasts. I want to thank listeners for joining me on another podcast and please stay safe. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Infoblox Threat Talk. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about maintaining a secure, always-on network that enables digital transformation, visit www.infoblocks.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.